0: My fur child will hopefully stay quiet. She's asleep right now, but we might hear some meowering
1: at some point. You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones and the A131 and the A133 large diaphragm studio condenser mics at AudixUSA.com. Oh, great. Uh, uh, where'd I put it? Oh, yeah. Alan and Heath has asked us to read the following. Uh, uh where'd I put it? Uh, I hope it's not in my email. He knows I don't check my email. Oh, here it is. A math problem. If a train leaves the station at 115 going 25 miles per hour and a plane flies in the opposite direction at the same time going 500 miles an hour... uh. Can I get more bass in my monitor?
2: Welcome back to the Cycles and Noise podcast on the Pro Sun Web Podcast Network. I am Chris Leonard, and joined by my lovely pink—is that pink or red-haired co-host <laughs> Will, Willis Snow uh, and Kyle inside How's it going?
0: It's pink. It's good. It's good to see you, bud. How are you?
2: It's good to see you. I got you a gig.
0: You did give me a gig, and I'm really pissed off that you're not going to be at said gig. Sorry, that makes me so sad. Like my heart yeah, was I broken. Know.
2: <laughs> yeah no but but hey yeah we, we, we're we doing a gig in austin and i was like you know what i know the best person in austin to get to do sound and that's willa and she happened to be available lucky <laughs> me. so i'm happy you know um yeah
0: thank Kyle's-
1: you austin has been kind of on fire lately um yeah like all the things are happening uh Austin's our shop has been yeah our ha- shop
0: has been sold out for multiple weekends Awesome. The,
1: the little known Taco Fest, just the Taco happened. Fest,
0: the hot sauce, so- <laughs> the hot sauce festival. Also, that's very important. Ooh, mm-hmm, that's mm. culturally significant, and the Waffle Fest.
1: And they don't skimp on the headliners either. I heard it's Mm-mm. pretty, uh, pretty fancy pantsy down there in Austin.
0: Oh yeah, we get all the big ticket artists around here to come out and play those, and it's been super fun from everybody that I've heard play it. So. I haven't been able to work them because I've been on other projects, but I did work ACL and that was super fun with a four AM load in. So, (laughs) long days, long days, but it's really fun because I mean the artists are so incredible and this town has such a wealth of talent in it. Um, and like I actually, yourself oh thank you oh my goodness um, one, one really cool thing uh, I was working the ACL radio live stage and uh, Francis Forever which you listeners if you're on TikTok you might know uh, the Space Girl song I ran their monitors like they showed up and then started checking with Space Girl and I was like oh dang I know this song y'all aren't the Space Girl band right they're like yeah so that was nice. super cool <laughs> like cool. they're they're from my city so it's like a little point of pride and they're so good Um, So if y'all ever have the chance to see Francis Forever live, please do it. There's such a joy and definitely get out there and see some live music and bring our artists back.
1: Awesome. Isn't it weird to hear like TikTok snippets and like real band things? Oh, it's so
0: weird. It's the weirdest.
1: You got to think. I mean, I guess, you know, our friend Justin Bieber, (laughs) our our good close friend, Justin Bieber Mm -hmm. was found on YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. The progression of social media bringing artists to the forefront is still happening. You know, yeah, reinventing TikTok, itself.
0: TikTok is the new way to get noticed. Like it's either you get signed by record deal or you go viral on TikTok, and like that, those are the only two ways that you can break in. Um, so that, that I'm aware I'm of. Boy, <laughs> oh my god,
1: I'm <laughs> an island boy. boy.
0: Um, but it, it's also just kind of surreal because for the past year and change, it almost two years, it's been. Like TikTok was just this little fantasy land that we all went to to pretend that we weren't locked up in our little boxes. And so now the box is opened and we're seeing those artists that were discovered on TikTok IRL. And it's just kind of surreal and weird, but also really cool because it's like meeting or experiencing the person that you've been friends with online and have yet to meet in person. It's like, oh my gosh, you're a real person.
2: I don't know what part of TikTok you watch, but the TikToks that Kyle and I send each other there's just a bunch of dumb rednecks that do stupid <laughs> shit. I mean, that's. That, all. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, we do so, that too.
1: <laughs> so, Mike, my, my claim to fame, and this will show my age. I did the um that song that uh, that band that did the tax commercial or uh, freecreditreport.com. dot com. Oh yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. I I did sound for them guys one time. Oh my
0: god, are you serious? That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. Did they,
2: they actually, actually play that song like during the sh- in the show? Yeah, that was their encore. They played oh a whole god, bunch of other awful. stuff and people were just like, "Play
0: the play the that's
2: credit awful. phone
0: that's awful all race.
2: right well let me uh, let me do a few housekeeping things and then we can get into uh, our guest here um i do want to say michael's been asking this as well as a bunch of other people um mm-hmm. you know we've had we've had a merch store for a little while but uh, we upped our game and we have beanies and hats now <laughs> that are embroidered uh i have a beanie and hat showing up this week i can't wait for it to show up uh and uh, they're super cool so go to uh, check out sickle to okay. and you can see the link for our merch oh. um also, uh, Michelle Pentinato, um, she has uh, mixingmusiclive.com. She has two courses, Mixing Music Live and Listen. Uh, we're going to give away one of those uh, at the end of October. Uh, we've been kind of pushing this out each episode here, and I'll put some stuff on socials. But um, we want to know why you want to take one of her courses. Uh, and then Kyle will pick one of those entries. So you can either go to cicholsonnoisepodcast and email us from there, or drop a line on our socials um, and and let us know why you want that course or one of the, her courses. Um, and even if you don't win one of the courses, please check out what she's doing. She's got some amazing
0: work.
1: Yes, um, she's back on tour now. I think
2: she yes. is. Yes, she is. Uh, Ka- uh, Michael also mentioned um, the the mentorship program. Like we kind of kind of hadn't talked. Michael, yeah, he's not here right now. He's actually he's being the uh, SPL police right now out Outlands, uh, oh, yeah, that's or right. whatever the name of that festival is out there. Most hated um, SPL police. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so the mentorship program we had kind of talked about this earlier in the year, um, and and we we keep trying to pair people up. It's a lot of work to pair people up, but we want to keep doing it. We have forty mentor pairs right now, which is which is crazy, which is awesome um and uh so yeah if you don't know about it check i just call them friends now i'm just like uh, yeah. these
1: are my my friends are calling hang on one second
2: <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so that that's pretty awesome keep that up and again speaking of our social groups we have a facebook group and a disco group they've been very active lately it's a lot of fun to see what's going on so please lean into it uh there's a lot of people from the industry from all walks and uh so check Share it out your so. posts
1: let's see your yeah. shows man we know everybody's working so gloat a little bit throw up your shows um hi welcome i guess uh we'll, we'll get to it uh I ran into this guy a while back at um, the church expo that we were at. And I was like, Holy cow, Ken's here. And I had to go find this dude. And he was standing in this dark blacklit room, listening to crazy, submersive audio stuff. And he grabbed my butt. I'm just saying, he <laughs> it. like it's a thing, but Ken has been a friend of mine and a coworker and uh, I've I've actually kind of looked up to him and his work because he's been doing this for about, you know, 30 years plus. Right. And, yep. uh, yep. you know, you host a lot of, uh, network seminars, teaching, you're an application specialist with a bunch of really cool companies like Sennheiser Design, waves and, you know, one not so cool company that we both work for together. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, the thing that like always sparks it, man, and, I I think I've mentioned it on other shows. One of my favorite live recordings of any artist is Christian artist Elevation. And you've worked at Elevation campus for um, almost ever, right? Since Uh, 12 years now. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So welcome to the show. Kent Margraves. Thanks guys. Great to be here. You, you've done a lot, man, and I really like how you do your workshops and you teach. Mm. Um, I've, Thanks. I've, I've watched a couple of them, and I like your approach to things because you're very organic, I think. And um, let, Let's go way
3: back, so 30 okay. years. Yeah. H- how, did, how did you get into this thing? Uh, let's see. Well, um, I grew up in a musical family. I recall, you know, playing LPs, you know, records, vinyls when I was three or four or five years old. And uh, even then I was fascinated with music theory. So I went on in high school and college and got a degree in music theory. That was the focus. And, you know, even today, sometimes my parents will say, man, we helped you get that. Music theory degree, and you don't use that because they don't understand Hmm. how that really applies when we're live mixing. So that helps me a lot. But even during college, because it was late 80s, I got interested in audio production, music production, and there weren't a lot of formal audio programs. So I decided to stay with the music track and start self studying audio on the side and getting with people who already knew what they were doing. And honestly, there was one book. All those years ago, I still remember the Recording Studio Handbook by John Warham, And that was the book that really started breaking down for me things like, you know, just how does a mic preamp work? What is gain structure? What does a compressor really do? You know, that kind of stuff. So it got my brains kind of really deep into analog processing. And I started mixing a lot. Um, A couple of years later, I got hired right out of, or just after college, um, by a church, a mega church. And this was before mega churches were hiring tons of professional tech people. So it kind of went like, okay, great. What am I going to do? And Mm. they said, well, we want you, we're going to figure that out. (laughs) So, uh, we ended up on national TV and for a couple of years, actually three or four years, I ended up, in a role learning really fast where we had a huge, uh, recording control room, two inch tape, 24 track. We were tracking kind of a mm. blended thing, choir, orchestra, band, all that stuff. So what I would do is I would mix front of house and have somebody lay the tracks down. And then I would, during the week, uh, do the post-production mixing back for TV. And I found myself replacing a lot of, uh, orchestral parts using synthesizers and stuff like that. So that was fun. I learned a lot about audio production then grew, but, uh, 94, I'll never forget in 1994, the ADAT happened and the industry dun, changed dun, dun, really dun. quick. Another, another format, yeah, a more accessible so, format. Yeah. What happened for me was the rates for recording engineers and I was actually living in Dallas, Texas at the time, dropped, not just a little bit, dropped like, I don't know, 75%. So I kind of pushed over into live sound out of need. You know, I, I was working in several recording studios regularly in Dallas and that just dried up. Everybody kind of jumped away from the studios and the high rates and the expensive tape and spent a few years doing the ADAT thing. So that's how I got really full-time into live mixing. Did you go to a a venue or did you work for an artist or? or Um, I was freelancing in Dallas and that involved a variety of churches and several TV studios where it didn't really feel like broadcast. We were doing live shows to tape. So they'd say, okay, Mm. we're going to lay down eight shows today. They're 30 minutes long. And we would even roll black during commercial breaks just to keep going mm. no post-production as a matter of fact i remember mixing music live to tape for tv on a front of house desk it was a soundcraft 400b yeah yeah I still remember it. so
1: the um, last one i was on i put bc <laughs> 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 wow. nice wow that's great theater in St. Petersburg, Florida. I walked in and nice. I was like, "Oh, Soundcraft 400." And I was like, B, C. C. Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm curious, uh, Kent, you said that you majored in uh, music theory. Yeah. So, when I I also did a lot of studying in music theory as well, and when topic i'm always curious about is how has music theory lent itself to be useful or maybe not useful to you in your past so far
3: definitely useful and sometimes a a setback meaning Mm
0: -hmm.
3: um you know we don't require front of house mixers to know what chord the band is playing Mm -hmm. maybe Um, we should yeah i you could We could go down that for quite a while. That that is quite a topic to debate. (laughs) Yeah. And then we'll talk about tempo after that. You know, in in my world, the last few years of churches, there's MDs and there's MD mics, and there's a lot of uh, rehearsal where transitions and key signatures and chord structures are discussed. And uh, I always put that up during rehearsal in the PA. So if an MD says, hey, you know, we're going to take this up a half step because I don't know, a vocal range needs to change or whatever. Um, that helps me get prepared. Um, especially I can think of one case that, that is a great example. We had a room that I was mixing in that had a really crazy node at 55 cycles. Well, um, if you do a little bit of math there and you think about bass guitar, I couldn't do anything about the room. Um, but even notching the PA a little bit helped, but not really. I was actually writing a bass DCA every time they played that note. So in the key of A, that was a one. and key of D, that's mm-hmm. a five. And it didn't. It wasn't perfect. But knowing that helped. Because, sure. I mean, this was the crazy note where everything's in balance. And all of a sudden, it's like kidney belt time on yeah. one note, you know, yeah. one of those rooms. So mm-hmm. it helped there.
2: We're, And real quick for people who just might not know, MD is musical musical director. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, just we do have some younger listeners who who just may not have heard the term. term. I mean, it's it's Mm -hmm. common on some tours uh, to kind of call somebody that, um, and then uh, definitely in the church world for sure. Mm
0: -hmm. I can definitely see how uh, having that music theory background as well, like just like being able to anticipate within a standard, you know, one three five chord structure. Yeah, um, you know when to anticipate those notches that need to be made
3: yeah and, and occasionally um in my own church there's times where at rehearsal we have an arrangement and a lot of the arrangements are done in-house a lot of the there a lot of the music is original not all um where it just doesn't sound right in front of house and it's not a mixed thing it may be guitar uh voicings or maybe mm-hmm. something else and by having a music theory background i have a little bit of clout to say hey md that may be okay in your ears, but let's listen closer. What's going on? Maybe this can be better.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that that's definitely a thing that we've talked about in the past. Uh, oh, yeah. When it comes to, I think there's a difference in, I think there's a little bit difference in, uh, in the house of worship market where there's a little more acceptance from us front of house engineer to be able to say mm. things like that than maybe necessarily some rock and roll touring yeah, sure. um sure. um but yeah that's something i think we've definitely encouraged like once you have that relationship with the art you know the artists, music or musicians i should say on stage um there should be a an ability of a direct candor to be like hey you know, we're all trying to achieve the same goal here. Something's right. not working out here. You know, what can we potentially change at the source um, uh, to 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 help that
3: at the source? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that does require rapport and a good relationship, sure. and it has to be done in a way that's not the sound guy beating up on the artist. You know, mm-hmm. that's be, like so. you said, common goal team.
0: Yep, I like to think of a good rule of thumb is if they ask you then give them your honest input mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. in a productive manner not in a critical manner. Yeah. Yeah. Um but if they don't ask you unless it's like really really terrible um and it, <laughs> it and it is a simple fix uh then maybe gently offer before just like saying it. Like it, it's one of those things where like you need you kind of need to be graceful with that sort of situation because it's re- it's a sensitive thing to be an artist. Good point. Yeah, um, sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's perspective
3: too from the stage, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in-ear monitors have 50 advantages over wedges, Mm -hmm. right? There Mm -hmm. are, in my mind, very few disadvantages to those, but sometimes that disconnect when you're talking about how does the room feel, um, uh, how does the acoustical balance really go from stage? I think, Mm -hmm. uh, with wedges, artists have a little bit better sense of the room sometimes, and with mm-hmm. ears, certainly they get a lot more detail and, um, uh, the advantage is huge, but I think mm-hmm. we lose a little bit of disconnect.
0: Absolutely. Especially if you have someone else doing the monitor mix and yeah. You, yeah, cause then it's a completely different thing altogether. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that having that dialogue is so important.
3: You know, um, since we mentioned in-ear monitors, that's something that I latched onto from an education standpoint.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Fifteen plus years ago, I bet I've done that workshop or seminar format forty times. It's a crazy Mm -hmm. topic, you know.
0: It's an amazingly fascinating topic.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, when you get into the physics of it, uh, the physiology of it with binaural Mm -hmm. summation and how the ears Mm -hmm. work and localization and all that stuff, it's it's crazy.
0: Yeah, for sure. Are you you guys do? Oh, go oh, ahead.
2: So we might be asking the same question. Are you guys uh, doing anything with clang at elevation?
3: Uh, at elevation, we have not at this point. I'm a big fan, though. I mean, <laughs> I,
2: I like love calls, what is that, doing... is that where you were going with that? Or yeah, I wasn't sure if yeah, that was just,
1: just to, you know, throw in the bit of technology. It has came pretty far in 15 years. I mean, oh yeah. even the sound of packs is better you know um the digital packs the new accent stuff is is amazing the clang stuff is amazing it is um the driver technology and the the almost the affordability of getting in-ears now opposed to 10 15 years ago Mm -hmm. is is half the cost (laughs) i remember um when ultimate started they were out in a rv following around warp tour trying to get people to jump on in ears and look at them now you know they sold and ultimate's still one of the biggest companies out there i mean there's a thousand Mm -hmm. other ones but the technology of in-ears has came leaps and bounds almost faster than digital consoles as i think interesting yeah i think you're right
0: I think I'm going to be asking the perfect crowd this question because I've been doing some some talking around with some friends on this topic on how important is it for a monitor engineer to have molded ears? Because mm. the way I, I've been taught and the way I, I like to think is that you want to be able to um, have as close of a representation as possible to what the artist is listening to. But at the same time, with the physiology of the human skull, you're never going to be completely 100% accurate because this, the ear and the, the canal, all of it is shaped differently person to right. person. Right. If so, fans
1: buying them, <laughs> don't tell them that.
0: <laughs> That's also very fair. But like, fundamentally, like, is it just fine to, like, can, can you still, do you believe that you can still effectively do your job with just generic sleeves or are molds long term just a better option? What are your thoughts? <clears throat>
3: You know, a couple of years ago, I got into this and I got samples from five or six different in-ear manufacturers Mm -hmm. and they vary so much. And and some manufacturers even say this model is for bass players and this model is for vocalists or whatever, you know, and the way they're tuning them for me, I wanted the most neutral thing because I'm just referencing front of house mixes quickly. You know if maybe mm-hmm. maybe to record outputs or whatever, and occasionally spot checking ears mixes, so I ended up I'm actually wearing one right now, one side with the reference series from ultimate ears, and if you a b those or a B C those with other stuff, they're a little bit less exciting. you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't wear these to go work out in the gym because they're not hyped, but mm-hmm. to answer that, I think um man, that's a tough one. I will, I will say that the, the medium by which those are connected, (laughs) excuse me, is a big deal. You know, uh, on tours, a monitor engineer is probably wearing a pack, a Q pack, right? So they're hearing Mm -hmm. the compander if it's an analog wireless, whatever, a lot of times in churches and maybe other installed setups where the front of house mixer is also providing the ears mixes, they're plugging into the headphone jack and and using Mm -hmm. the Q bus And um, in my own church, we have tons of campuses. We have 21 campuses. And one of my roles is to coach and and onboard and train these guys at all different skill levels. And sometimes, frequently actually, uh, the buses leaving front of house are overdriven to the ears because the musicians, you know, the whole, I need more, I need more. And Mm -hmm. the companders on the analog wireless, are a big deal with that so we've been training our guys to mix downward you know if Mm -hmm. if drummer's already at the top of an output on a front of house desk and they say i need to click up uh, we don't feel like it's lying to the artist or misleading them if we turn everything else down 3db and and in their mind the click got louder Uh, the front of house guy or even a monitor guy that's plugged into a desk directly doesn't hear that compander now Kyle mentioned mm-hmm. digital wireless. You know these these hybrid systems don't have a compander, uh, so that mm-hmm. helps. But there's still a lot of FM analog out there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah Will, to put my two cents on that, I would say if you're on a national tour, absolutely you're going to want to be on the exact same model as mm-hmm. at least a majority of the the people on stage. Typically, majority of people on stage are going to be on the same model of ear um, on a, on a national touring act. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, I think quite frankly, you can get there in generality. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I still think the isolation, uh, no matter the model you get from a custom mold, is quite frankly going to be far superior than any generic again, purely from an isolation uh, mm-hmm. of, of what else is a uh, bleed and stuff is going on. So that would be my short, you know, two cents good into point. that. Uh, fit yeah. mm-hmm. is
3: a big deal, too. A proper fit and a good seal, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: because a very interesting thing I learned many years ago your ears, the bones in your ears are one of the only parts of your body that never actually stop growing or changing. Right. And so there are two, th- two factors to think about a couple factors to think about when you have custom molds. Um, one is if for whatever reason, someone goes through massive weight loss or gain one way or another, uh, that can dramatically change their ear canals and will mm. lose a seal on their, on their molded in mm. ears. Um, and then secondly just purely over time just pure, you know mm-hmm. just you know yep. you know even if you kind of maintain the same weight your ears will change like i have a pair of ue11s uh from 11 mm-hmm. years ago 100% seal is not there like wow. and you know yeah. um it, it and it had nothing to do with the fact that the ue11s were bad or whatever mm-hmm. it's just like your mm-hmm. your the muscles in, or not muscles the bones and stuff in your in your ears are are constantly actually changing blue or not so um
1: and your nose not that you put in-ears in your nose, but that's the other part of your body that you keeps growing. Well, hey, Kyle. I don't, I don't, sometimes
3: it um, looks like they've been in your nose. Kyle, since you mentioned that, that just spawned a really hilarious memory. Uh, years ago, on April 1st, a, uh, an ad came out. It was online for a new monitoring technology, Nose Buds. And it was hilarious. (laughs) It was done by the 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 brand Kicker. They do car audio Mm. and stuff like that. Oh yeah, they had it made up. They had a guy wearing them, and they had different size nasal (laughs) tips and all that stuff. And the idea was save your ears, do it through your nose, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I love it.
0: I mean, we all like all of us young millennials will remember like putting the Apple earbuds in our nose and opening our mouths and having the sound come out. Oh wow! Oh yeah. Yeah, that was like a common middle school thing <laughs> growing
3: up. Wow,
2: Pre, pre-Tide Pods.
0: Mm-hmm, pre-Tide Pods, all I, about that's the a li- iPod. That's, a,
2: that's Pre- at least a little safer than Tide Pods. So anyway. Um, wow. Kent, Kent I'm yeah. curious. Um, so, all right, so you, you work at a, at a multi-campus, you know, um, uh, mega church. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things, uh, you know, That I've worked with, you know, I've worked in the church world for quite some time. Um, again, on a single campus level, but even on a single campus level, one of the things that the worship director was striving for was consistency in, in the experience that they're delivering for people who show up right um right right? so you're doing you're doing multiple services on a sunday they're identical services um you have a a volunteer worship band um that's a ever rotating band every week how do and you have multiple mix engineers how are you able to deliver a consistent mix experience sonic experience from that standpoint so i'm curious uh when you're working with your staff and your um what are some of the key things uh, that you do to ensure that consistent experience across multiple campuses, across multiple services, um, like, are there reference tracks that are like, Hey, we're trying to sound like X. Can you define, Hey, this is what our sound is like, you know, mm-hmm. um, are, how much parameters can they, can, uh, an engineer creatively take on a Sunday morning or a Saturday evening yeah. or whatever. I know there's a lot bundled into there, but like, how do you manage, I mean, elevation specifically in any, any, any church has it. It's a brand, right? It's an identity on how we sound, how we want to present an experience. How do you keep that consistency?
3: Great questions. Um, as you might expect, it's our biggest challenge. We have done some s- specific things to target that. And I should point out, I'm not full-time at the church. I'm, I'm cool. just a, a, a weekend contract thing. My role is to mix and also onboard new sound engineers. And we developed a, a program a few years ago for onboarding that addresses that. We have a seven-step process and two of those actually three of those steps involve first uh, shadowing um, mm. without touching the console. So we're exposing guys already to what our sound brand is. And we've just dis- defined our sound brand, which is really tough to do, Yeah, um, but we've done that. Uh, and we talk about that. It,
2: hold, I, I'm very curious about that though. Sure. Is there, what kind of language goes into that what you're a sonic great question, man.
3: So we didn't always have this. And when we decided to do onboarding and a focused training for new and existing sound engineers, we talked um, with several people in the central staff and said, you know, before we can convey that, we have to put language around it. So we still struggle with the language, but what we do is we have workshops and we also have private virtual sound check trainings. So mm-hmm. in those we take a perspective or existing sound engineer and we take the weekend tracks. They're not polished. They're not studio tracks. They have all the nasties of the live stage. So same musicians and we null the console and say, go. And sometimes we have guys that put up a, a cool mix, but it sounds like an eighties rock band or hmm. it sounds like some other style And our style for us as a church has changed right o- over the last few yeah. years, 10 years ago, it was skinny dream, skinny jean guitar in your face, make the SM 57 on the snare drum kind of part your forehead kind of thing. Um, it's become more gospel at times. We still do some rock. So uh, the language has never been consistent. Uh, we know when we hit it, we use loops tracks, backing tracks, uh, at every campus to help. Uh, we talk a lot about hooks. So we're thinking about the average attendee. That's not a music nerd or a sound nerd. Sure. We want them to immediately recognize, uh, when a song starts the hook and they already know, Oh, that's that song. The hook may come from a lead guitar. It may come from a track that's been pre-produced. Or it may come from an auxiliary keyboard. So we train our sound engineers to find that. They have to listen to the music during the week. We put it all on a server and uh, get it in their head. We don't expect guys to memorize the songs. We expect them to know the map, the song map, the format, um, and the sound, the hooks. You know what What's really driving this song? Is it a big rhythm guitar? Or uh, is the floor tom huge? Or, you know, sometimes we mm-hmm. talk about four toms yeah. with our sound engineers because. I want to talk about that. We'll come back to your thunder toms. Thunder toms. Yeah. Thunder well, toms. The, the, I'm into the that. The logic there is, it's live, right? We don't want mm-hmm. to mix the drums exactly like a record in perfect balance. If you see, you know, Thor up here just taking a stick and beating the tarnation out of a floor tom and you see that with your eyes and you're sitting in the third row it should probably move a lot of air so we'll Mm make those larger than life right um i don't know if i answered that question very well chris
2: um no it's a it's a it's a tough thing i mean it's again how do you put language to what is a a brand of a sound, right? I mean yeah. like um it, it's it's tough. Uh, you know, especially when you get into um volunteer or even yeah. um let's face it, most even a lot of large non-denominational churches are at least paying something, but yeah. it's not what you would get on a normal tour or whatever, right? It's right. just at least hey, we right. acknowledge we need to pay for experience. But so so you know, um yeah, that can defining that consistency is extremely difficult and and not to mention like here's the deal Uh, um every sound person i don't care who you are is going to have a slight bit of taste difference around it and quite frankly we got into this uh so for some artistic freedom right you know um and in churches i know for a fact that artistic freedom um, isn't always given or the best place to have um, yeah. You know, yeah. like, Good you know, point. just because I love you, you know, I may love um, delay, you know, and using that as my <laughs> instrument, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my worship director might be like, hell no. Uh, that's, I right. Intended. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Like, nope. no, no, no. You know, and like you said, the the, the modern worship sound has has yeah. evolved right? Oh, yeah. Like, um, the early two thousands was, was flooded with delay, you know, whereas mm-hmm. now it's, mm-hmm. it's very, uh, you know, much more tight, you know, uh, tight sound, I, I would describe it as, um, so, um, that, that's tough. You know, well, to, it's the subjective portion it.
3: that that's yeah. tough. You know, I'll tell you what we do is when someone hits that sound, we let them know very specifically, whether it's live or in a virtual sound check, you've nailed it. That's the sound we're going for. That's easier than just putting language around it and say, go for it. And then we also set up some um, hierarchy of who's in charge of the mix, right? Mm. Cause everybody's mm-hmm. got an opinion. So yep, sound engineers know exactly who can speak into that mix and, and who shouldn't.
2: That, that's good. And that that could be tough. That's yeah. a tough
3: one. And, and it's set up Are, by the central staff from a, authority standpoint
2: and so, how about a, a spl has to be a part of that conversation right
3: it was and as a matter of fact it got so confusing for some of our guys at all different levels that i wrote up an internal article just putting some knowledge around how we measure sound and weightings and mm-hmm. what leq is i care more about leq in a church service because you have what 45 or more minutes of speech. Yep. Maybe you're loud for 20 minutes. Maybe you're close to hundred DB, a slow or whatever, but it's that, that exposure over time that we care about. So where we landed is make it sound good. And if the campus pastor or other staff say it's too loud, consistent consistently, then we go back and revisit it. But um, we do not put a specific number anymore and say, here's your target. We do no, measure that's great. Some, some of our campuses measure, um, not all of them, you know, so
1: how, how much music takes to up your worship part of the program. Usually 20 minutes. You said like three that's songs, That's close. four
3: songs, three or four. Yeah. Um, I mean,
2: I, out of an hour, like an hour, hour 15 service, right? About an hour yeah, 15. I'm guessing. Is yeah. Service.
3: Yeah. So it varies a little bit, but like, like a lot of places we do them back to back. So we can't go forever got big mm-hmm. parking lots to flip mm-hmm. and yeah all that so so your your specific church though which i think is mm-hmm. really
1: cool and and there's only like 3 of them that come to mind right away and your elevation is one um bethel hillsong right people actually play your guys's music in their house of worship like right are you and the engineers around the writing process of that sometimes or um, how does, how does that come about? Cause I know that there's many campuses, there's many bands, but how does the writing process go
3: with like the engineers and how you're going to get this yeah. sound out? When we were a small church with one or two campuses, I was around for those cause they needed an engineer in the writing room or in the pre-production and rehearsals and things like that. Uh, those were some great moments cause I, I was in the room when some of those, very well-known songs happen. Yeah. But these days, the live sound engineers aren't involved in that process because the staff is large enough to have a full-time team. Uh, there's recording engineers and uh, arranger and stuff like that 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 they're recording every day, demos I, or whatever.
1: I think we talked about this a long time ago too. You guys actually have someone on staff that used to be like a big-time music master or producer was it
3: doing like your live albums there for a while we did we did for a long time yeah Uh, that's all done in-house by several guys it's and and uh, i'm serious to our listeners out there listen
1: listen to the elevation albums no matter your denomination the the sound quality on these things one you got to keep telling yourself this is live and then two It's coming from in-house production that Elevation has basically groomed themselves. Like some it of those hasn't songs always been are that way. Awesome,
3: wow. I, know, I can but, tell you, wow the the first live album we ever did, um, we had done a few studio albums. The producer, which was one of the vocalists, worship leader, told me he goes, "Man, I need you. I need you on monitors." And I'm like, "I'm a front of house guy." And he goes, <laughs> "Our band can play these songs." but we've never done this live. I need you at monitors making sure the metronome is, is dead on in everybody's ears and they're comfortable because it's live. And we made some mistakes. It, it was a good record, and it, it sounds great. But one of the things that we did poorly for a live album is we did 17 songs that night. This is almost 10 years ago, but I remember it. And it was the first time anybody in the room heard the songs. So putting up eight pairs of stereo condensers uh, really was pointless, right? So what we did is we spent the next two months doing those live on the weekends to recapture all the audience sounds and sing-alongs and all that. But uh, since then, the church has gotten really good at miking the room and getting a sense of space mm-hmm. and all that. He's just talking away. Chris is muted. <laughs> So, uh,
1: (laughs) the look of frustration that has just
0: crossed his face is amazing. You are
3: muted, sir. The album that blows me
1: away is that Hallelujah Here Below. Yeah. So, we
3: recorded that at the arena in Charlotte. And do you like the sound of that? The writing Oh,
1: man. Like, in just the songs and the structure and how they're put together. Like, I, I said this when the new Justin Bieber album came out. I was like, "This is an elevation album. Like the drums sound like an ele- elevation mm. album." Wow! Like I think, I think there's been stuff in pop music that you guys were doing well before. Hmm. Like it, it's like, oh man, that Justin Bieber song is a, a church song. It, it is because <laughs> it sounds it sounds like that album to me. I can tell Speaking you. Of-
3: I, yeah, go ahead, Will.
0: I was just going to say, speaking of drums, I want to hear more about these thunder toms. But let's let's wrap this up. If you <laughs> sure, have more to sure, say sure. here, well,
3: I was just going to say um, <laughs> that production was enormous for us. We had never done anything that big, and I was on an SD10 side stage, and a good friend of mine, who's an amazing engineer and musician, was right beside me with another SD10, and we split the stage and did monitors half and half. I did the band which had two drum kits and a percussion riser. It was tons of musicians and he did all the vocals and we were both still really busy, you know, wedding, but yeah, we mm-hmm. were sweating, but it was all good. I mean, um, when you do something like that, you got one shot and uh, it has to work. And the last thing we want are musicians on stage that can't hear or wondering what's coming next or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So
0: and this was all during a service that this was being recorded? No, this
3: was a special live recording that we went to the local NBA arena. Oh, and, and right, because, okay. you know, at that point, the church had never, maybe twice in the history of the church, ever been in the same room together. When you're that mm-hmm. spread out, people tend mm-hmm. to forget this is a really big community. So we were able Amazing. to have, I don't know, 14,000, 15,000 people together. That's incredible. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: That's probably my favorite record, too, Kyle. I love it. So, Thunder Toms. Thunder Toms. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, the central staff, which I am not a part of, I help speak into it, make decisions on gear based on what's sustainable. Certainly, we can go to our broadcast campus and put, you know, DPA condensers or whatever we want on a drum set and go crazy. But what about the campus that backs up a rental truck at 5 a.m.? And loads Mm. every single thing. You guys know what portable church is, right? Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, they fly the PA. They bring in lights. They bring in projectors. And even outside of production, they're bringing in cribs for the babies and all that kind of stuff. So Mm. we go real simple. Um, SM57s, there are several hundred in that church. They're on all the guitar amps. They're on the top and bottom snares. Um, On the drums, at just about every campus, this guy right here, I'm talking to him, which is not a mm-hmm. speech mic. Uh, They're 604s. Um, it's about drum tuning first. Mm. And when we really leaned into that, I get an amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. How thank about the proximity effect? Amen. <laughs> um, I, don't, I have no idea what that sounded like. Probably terrible. Shit. But anyway, I, yeah. I should say my dad, uh, who passed a couple of years ago, had a great career as a broadcaster. Uh, he was a, an anchorman and then a field reporter and did all these documentaries. And he had this voice. Chris, you've got the voice too, man. It's amazing. Yes, he does. But <laughs> I, I grew up with that. Trip club you know? DJ slash. And then I've got this little. have <laughs> <laughs> got this mid-rangey Southern redneck thing. So anyway. <laughs> I love it. Um, it turns me on. <laughs> we actually leaned into that, Chris. It's a great, it's a great thing. Um, we brought in a guy from Nashville to talk about drum teching. And there was a time, and uh, Luke Anderson, who's one of my favorite drummers I've ever worked with on a tour or in a church or anywhere, uh, can tell this story too. An amazing drummer. We were tuning wrong at the time. The guys were trying to tune, but it's mainly the floor tom, I think rack tom as well, trying to go down to get the thunder. And, uh, the bottom line was we were doing that backwards. We actually had to go up with the top heads, and it was about moving air. And I'm not a drum tech, but I heard it when we learned to get it well, right.
2: The, the biggest thing I've learned about toms, and um, most recently, actually, shout out to Ryan and John uh, because we have to. Michael's not here. I'm going to say yeah. uh, Ryan and John <laughs> podcast, um, mm-hmm. the live sound boot camp. Um, yeah. I I I actually was baffled on how much attention needs to be not only on the top head but the bottom head? Yeah. like yeah. i remember like for years i've never seen a drummer touch a bottom head yet when i heard the live sound boot camp talk i mean half the conversation was about what the bottom head actually does to the tuning of a to a tuning of a drum that's great i mean man. that's it's it that's immediately
3: you know. my response to bottom head always so what we do is the uh the drum teching we get that right or we try to. That's our goal. And then we put a six oh four on it and we scoop the mids out like everybody on the planet does with drums and a PA. And um we go. We crank it. It's that I mean, simple. it's
2: simple. It it's it starts at the source, right? It's it's cliche, right? But like but it's still I mean true. at the end of the at the end of the day, like you you know, uh, it's right make right mic, right placement, you know, or at least Okayish ish mic and okay-ish placement in theory you should be picking up a good source and yeah the source is good yeah. you're right i mean it, it, it sounds so simple but it, 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 it is what it is you know <laughs> I mean- you're
3: right and what i've focused on the last couple of years as a I, I'm, I'm a drums nut i always have been is really working on overheads alignment and getting the sound of the kit from the overheads and then supplementing you know supplementing with the spot mic's uh, rather than start at the kick drum and work up you know
2: how all right how how difficult is that so you have a ton of campuses of varying yeah, sizes yeah. i imagine many of them right. are not the best of uh acoustical places and might only be oh, a couple yeah. hundred people yeah. you know, maybe even a thousand or whatever and quite frankly you don't need overheads in that mix that's right um so i mean it, are you still telling people to balance it i mean because for the most part i guess um your guys' broadcast is mostly coming from, I, would, I imagine, from a main campus as opposed to that local that's campus. Right. So, yep. That front of house engineer, at the end of the day, right, they're supposed to mix for that room, not necessarily what the board mix is, right? That's would right. That be how you would kind of coach. there? Yep. Yeah.
3: Um, we use shy baffles, um, which which help a lot when they're placed correctly, and that's a training thing. Uh, some of our campuses do not get them placed right. So, what we do is we get the height of the shy baffles wherever they need to be to keep the cymbals out of the vocal mics on stage because of the time smear. We also want to keep them out of the room in the audience, but when we focus those specifically placement-wise to target the vocal condensers or dynamics, the vocal mics, that's where it works. And uh, we do have a few rooms that are uh, concrete and brick and glass. Uh, We lean into the drummers and say, you've got to help us out. You know, um we have one drummer who used to overdo the simples and I remember Only one?
0: Well, no, I'm
3: thinking of uh, more than one. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we've got dozens but this, and dozens. this this particular of
0: drummer that he's referring to yeah, at this moment yeah. in time.
3: <laughs> and I did the unthinkable. I we had a good rapport and at a rehearsal, actually at a sound check before rehearsal, I had him pull his ears out. And there's an Ableton session with metronome and, you know, click and guide and all that stuff. And it was a panic. And I was like, man, let's just play for a minute. And what he learned, it worked, is he got a sense of the room. You know, he could hear mm-hmm. the symbols coming back. There was no audience. It was just a sound check. But that helped more than telling him for six months, chill out on the symbols. He actually heard some of the room. So I think, I think that's mm-hmm. something that uh, helped us a lot in this regard.
0: That's a really good way of communicating what is happening into it's okay, Chris, just breathe breathe and refresh your page you will become unmuted. i promise you (laughs) i just i'm looking off into the distance while i'm formulating a thought and then i just hear i just see flailing out of the corner of my eyes are Uh, you okay
2: (laughs) yeah i'm good now i sorry i wanted to say though real quick sorry Uh on the terms of symbols because i'm used to this from a house of worship standpoint notoriously house of worship stages are shallow as August, so that i mean you know that 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 vocal mic to to symbol bleed is ridiculous yes you know mm-hmm. so I, I think that's nine times out of ten the reason why you can't put it in the mix not because the room can't support it that way but because the vocal mics yes. i have more symbols in my vocal mics than i do on my overheads you know what because the backup because the backup vocals are are volunteers who don't know how to actually put out there it is you know? so
3: they have higher gain
0: mm-hmm. right we
3: we gain them up and uh that's a real problem you know
0: yeah and that that's something that I houses of worship have in common with with small club land which is mm. a tiny tiny stage that's very cozy yeah. and there's only so much that you can do in a small room on a, with a small stage where everybody's crowded together um and there, there's just you just gotta kind you have to kind of work within those parameters and, and yeah. make everything yeah. match the symbols which is not the the favorite thing of mine to do but it's what you got to do
3: yeah, you know, I work with a lot of churches outside my own, just freelance stuff. Mm-hmm. It's coaching, it's sometimes and just go in and be the guy from out of town to, to say this stuff that, that just needs to be repeated about mixed techniques or whatever. And mm-hmm. these things we're talking about are pretty common around the church world, even, you know whether mm-hmm. it's volunteer level all the way up through full time guys mm-hmm. uh, in my church we have everything you know we we do contract our sound engineers but they're not all professionals right um you know they're at all different skill levels and mm-hmm. it's a it's a moving target it'll never be
2: uh perfect mm-hmm. so I, just i'm curious from the from the education standpoint um mm. that's not something i find um when you inherently try to sit down and figure out a roadmap for teaching yeah. That is not an easy task. It's
1: mm-hmm. called a syllabus, Chris. <laughs> wow.
2: Um what are, you know, if you you've been teaching for some period of time now, what are yeah. what are some of the things that you've had to learn about either yourself or teaching models that you've had mm-hmm. to to kind of grow grow on and 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 see work through the years.
3: You know, um Good question. So years ago, I co-authored and presented for a couple of years traveling something called the Installed Sound Academy. It was a two-day seminar, and it was ICIA-accredited for renewal units and all that. So I learned a lot about presenting technical topics by doing that. In this world that we're talking about right now, that kind of goes away because we're trying to take guys and only do one job. They don't need to understand how to mix an orchestra or do something on a Broadway stage. These guys in our church world only have to pull off one style. Uh, we do some very specific things, how we route clicks. Think about 21 metronomes, and those get routed around the network sometimes. So if campuses are singing the same song, you've got a metronome that's leaving one campus over fiber and now leading other other campuses, so they're in sync. So we kind of pare it down to, we don't need to make you a professional audio engineer. We just need to teach you this task, hit the cues, understand gain structure, and then try to blend it to our sound. Mm. So the good part of that is it's repeatable from a setup standpoint. We no longer null out our consoles every weekend. We start usually from the prior weekend with the same band. We try to keep the same bands at each campus, uh, and mostly the same sound engineers. They do they do change. But here's something you guys might find interesting, and it's something cool that we did. The downside is it took us over a decade to think of it. So we use consoles, digital consoles that bank, right? They've got banks. They're uh, Digico. But they also have layers. So what we landed on maybe a year ago, two years ago, is layer one is set up by the central staff. It's got exactly what you would expect to see a bunch of inputs that start with drums and then bass and guitars and keys and production mics and all that stuff. Uh, Engineers have preferences. Some guys want the DCAs on the right hand or the effects returns over here. Don't do that on layer one, do it on layer two. So if a guy gets the flu on Saturday and we have to move a sound engineer over there, he can pull up the previous week's file, just go to layer one, and he knows exactly. You know, bass guitar is going to be on channel 11 or whatever. That's really important for outputs, too, because we're typically running 10 or 11 in-ear mixes off the same console. So, in that case, layers are a great thing. Kyle, you look like you're really thinking hard, man. Yeah, I I was (laughs)
1: definitely thinking about that. And then I was thinking about the opportunity that Elevation has to actually take the show on the road. And yeah. well you, you last did night that,
3: you, was was uh, the start of a a series of yeah. a, a fall run.
1: They're
2: they're in Nashville tonight.
3: Yep. Yep. Started and, in Atlanta last night.
1: And that's a cool story too. Um you've mixed them live on tour. Yeah. And and then there's this kid, I call him a kid because I met him in Las Vegas when I lived there, Corey Edwards. Yep. I actually got called over to his church to help out with some Midas desks that they bought a long time ago, and I met this kid. Yeah, and all that's of a sudden Yeah, yeah. A few years later, and he's mixing elevation. And I got to see him at um the experience in Orlando, and he was amazing. Yeah,
3: you and I were there together.
1: Yep, we did. I remember yep, that? Yep,
3: that was a good hang. Uh, that was, was, that hang. Week, that was that was the hurricane week? That was hurricane week. We we got out right Man. before it, like a day. The lesson before. there is you get five days heads up or so on a hurricane, and if you have a big conference. Go ahead and call it. They didn't. Yeah. We got creamed. It's kind of a cool story. Um, So, <laughs> Kyle, um, Elevation, when the tours got big, separated everything. One, one of the mantras was, okay, you guys are going to start touring. Make sure you don't tear up our weekends because what we do on the weekend is more important. So, you mm, start pulling LBs yeah. onto the road and things like that uh, it's a problem. So that happened a little bit. We struggled with it. And finally they said, it's a separate thing. Get a production company, get it all worked out. Corey started PMing, uh, and, and mixing. So it's all separate production wise. It just has to be.
2: I'm curious. Do, they do they, go ahead, go, do go. they,
1: do they choose the musicians from the local churches or do they source like other people or I, it's guys how does all that work from out?
3: inside the church. Um, a lot of times it's the same band, but there are alternates. Um, sometimes the drummer will change out from night to night. They'll jump on the bus or fly in and pick up the tour. See, I you think know? that's the only kind of genre that can do that. Maybe,
1: you, maybe jazz. Choice. <laughs> maybe oh, jazz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you replace the drummer of like it's a of, of touring rock band, and it's like a different band. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, it, yeah, it, and. It, it's right. amazing that th- the consistency, like going back to the whole language of what the brand and the sound is going to be. It's still there. It's like look, almost unnoticeable.
2: Look, churches are the best cover bands. I'm just saying they just are. <laughs> I, mean, <they're> ad- <laughs> I mean, let's face it. The average church is a cover band. I mean, that's what they are. I mean, anyway, and, you're and right.
1: Tribute bands are usually better than the real. <laughs> let's go ahead and put that out there.
3: The mute has My- struck again.
0: <laughs> the mute was monster. that a
3: train? That yeah, it was a train. Sorry, guys. Um, I'm in my house. I, I'm i in Charlotte. Uh, this is a pseudo office in my home, mm-hmm. and there's a train track that's a, probably a mile away. Let's talk about inverse square law and how loud that must be at a meter from that because yeah. I'm a mile <laughs> yeah. off,
1: and you're inside mm-hmm. through barrier and yeah, some kind of insulation of some sort. Yeah, holy cow, that thing's
3: ripping. I was like. It's a train. It is. And it's uh it's loud. Sorry about that.
0: No, it's all good. It's amazing that it's able to move that far.
1: It's amazing I can still hear it at my age. <laughs> <laughs> You're so old.
3: I'm I'm three I, or four years ahead of you as I
1: recall. I know, I but you look damn better. Like holy cow, I don't see a gray hair on you. Oh, they're
3: <laughs> they're coming in over here. I'm I'm buzzing down the this. gray
1: part. Yeah, so yeah, you've earned that. Right? Yeah, that's one <laughs> K did that to me. That's what I keep telling everybody.
3: It was your mix. You
1: yeah, your your hair hair frequency
3: of hair. Too yeah. many, too many nights on the road with horn pointed right down your forehead. There, <laughs> yep. Compression drivers, the death of my hair follicles. Yeah. Wow. Wow.
1: We could talk about resonant frequency too of, of hair follicles, which is like one point six one k. Are
0: you
3: going to so. do the math?
0: Really? Like,
1: no. But going back though. going back to your <laughs> to your music theory thing, <laughs> yes. this is my this is my question, and I, I think this is kind of where musicians slash engineers need to coexist in this space is uh-huh. the the frequency a instrument you are putting through a PA creates. Great point. And that goes with the whole Tom discussion too, is like the resonant of the frequency of the thing that you're trying to create. Sometimes you'll see people reach for things and take away things or boost things that aren't even happening in that instrument. So do you think the music theory background gave you yeah, um, yeah.
3: resonant theory? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you know, even without that, an RTA, a lot of RTAs this, these days, not even expensive ones uh, can display music notes over frequency. So so mixers that, that are scared of that um, can, can actually start training by looking at it, uh, uh, not even an FFT, just a standard RTA while they're mixing. And another trick I've seen, and I still do it, is uh, take the solo bus out to an, an RTA. So when you're in the mix of, of doing 50 channels and I you're wondering that. what this low-mid thing is doing, you can just punch the solo bus look at a an rta and you know we've all done it where we think we're cutting 250 appropriately and we should have been cutting 400 you know that kind of stuff i think using Mm -hmm. the eyes with the technology these days can help it's definitely Mm -hmm. a a decent crutch if you don't lean on it too much
1: the instrument i see people mess up the most is kick drum because i think uh there's a lot of air being removed from kick drum because people mm. think like the low mid the hundred the one sixty is like weird, and I think they need to move it around a bit because your your octaves are strange and I like real organic sounding drums, so I try not to you yeah. as much as possible. You know, it
3: might be uh, interesting to think about the fact that many microphone manufacturers have pre-tuned kick drums, some to an extreme. Uh, which, which I'm not a fan of. I mean, some of them it's okay, but I, I can think of one, I don't need to name it, that, that has a scoop that's like three or four octaves wide and sounds like 15 dB down. And it, my thought is, well, how do you know what the drum sounded like? I'd rather do that in the moment if it needs it. So, uh. Do the old
1: 58 slash 57 test. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, uh, drums vary in size too, you know. Um, I can remember a time where someone had a kick drum that might as well have been a timpani. And when we really took the mix part and just walked back to the stage, it was clear we had the wrong kick drum for the genre. You could tune it tighter and and try to do that, but it's a source thing. I think we always come back to the source when we're talking Mm -hmm. about mixes right for sure and and mics and selection
1: and everything like yeah one of my always all-time things that i remind myself daily is like if i'm going to the eq
3: too much stop go to the microphone i think we've Um, all done it I, i do the same thing you know if i if i'm processing myself into a weird spot just stop undo it if it's not live, get to the stage and see what the source sounds like. Yeah, well, for sure.
0: I think and I, that's just a. Go sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, no, no,
2: you're good. I'm, I'm back. Apparently, my webcam microphone because my I don't know why my computer is being problematic right now. So I'm. I'm
0: well, we can hear you now, so that's good. Probably some Halloween.
1: Maybe you can put the wig back <laughs> on now, and it'll. Oh man. <laughs>
0: Um, well, anyway, I think that's just like a good rule of thumb for for anything. Like, especially if you're just getting started mixing, or if you are coming across an instrument that you're not sh- sure mm. how to mic, mm. just take your head, put it around the source, and move around and listen and great and point, and Think Will. to yourself, okay, that's right. Like, I want like if I have a bazooki for the first time, I'm gonna do. I want more of the string sound, or do I want more of the body? Or did like you say a, a <laughs> <Bazooki>. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm going to make a bazooka cast. Got it.
1: Well, I didn't think there were three. We to have 1812 on
0: overture in the modern wow. age. Wow. <laughs> you,
1: you do live in Austin. This, this could happen. Like I do. a cannon, it a bazooka? Really
0: could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, it's making me think of that Sylvia Massey story of where she recorded uh, a gun being shot into a piano because she could.
3: Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> she was
0: an, it, yeah, she was an intern at a studio in LA and she's just like, I wonder what this sounds like. So she brought in a grand piano and shot it with a shotgun. <laughs> that sounds
3: expensive too
1: sounds yeah her did. bosses were not
0: happy about it you know what <laughs> Kyle, what
3: I want to do to grand pianos too <laughs> here it is man the older I get the more aggressive the high pass filters get
0: yeah. and
3: the less I lean into compressors or yeah. if I'm leaning into compressors on drums and vocals the attack times get insanely long you know
1: crazy I, long. I, I like mixing quiet too I like challenging myself mixing quiet nice. it's hard. Um, it, it's it's harder and it's it's more ch- it's like a fun challenge mm. you know what i mean balance is a fun challenge quiet and mm. uh i think some of our broadcast guys have said it and uh even in the last one with sully like he said it you know mixing on crappy speakers and then putting it through the thing like yeah. If you can make it sound good on computer speakers or in your car yeah. or on a Walkman, you know, whatever, a Walkman, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have one. It'll translate better that way. And I
3: think mixing quiet is super fun, you know? And, well, and he, that's. He was doing Nora Jones. I, I, I co taught a uh, workshop with Sully years ago in LA when I was a Waves product specialist. And uh, what he was doing was Nora Jones. Was only sixteen channels, and it sounded phenomenal. It had space in it. It wasn't loud. I think he had the wisdom to just go. All right, this is killer talent. My job is just to make it a little bit louder. Not change it. Not process mm-hmm. it. Don't squel. I don't think there was a compressor on it. Um, mm-hmm. Good mic, mic technique, and just crank it. You know, just get it
1: a
0: little mm-hmm. bit
3: louder and go. Yeah, he talked. He talked He's about good. Nora. He talked about
1: the. Uh, crappy piano she brought on tour just because she liked it and the sound and, and uh he had to deal his, with his challenges but he was mm-hmm. uh I would have loved to have seen that tour for sure so, yeah I, so on, I, know,
2: I know we're running we're running up on uh, the proverbial clock here I have one more one more potential controversial question before we get into our two centertter last questions um that was a big preamble there. All right. So I'm curious, having worked in the house of worship uh, market, from your perspective, um, how important um, is the person mixing front of house or monitors um, to be in tune with um, the spiritual mission of a house of worship, right? So um you know there are de- definitely plenty of hired guns right um and and the mix of doing or the art of doing sound is is doing sound regardless of how spiritually you're in tune you can still be musically in tune How much of that at least and maybe just from an elevation perspective or whatever and if you can't speak to this too, it's fine I understand this can be yeah. you know this maybe may a, a gray area but for those who maybe understand this topic, I'm very curious on your experience yeah. in in that area well
3: well, for me personally, I have got this weird learned ability. I think I'm crazy. Sometimes I can read a room from the back and know exactly what's going on. If there's connection spiritually, what's going on, all that kind of stuff. Um, In the case of my church, step one is an interview where um, the tech stuff doesn't even come up. It's about, are you part of this? Uh, A lot of times guys are already part of the church and understand what the mission is. And it's just about getting involved in the audio side if not um that's all vetted first we uh we won't just hire somebody cuz they can mix they've got to be part of the mission they got to be bought in um a lot of churches do that just because they get desperate and they go we got to have a professional and uh i think it's it's critical that everybody's on the same page cuz the goals are different right
2: yeah 100% the focus I, is different let me take this one step further uh, out of curiosity how about um Theologically, right? So it's one thing to be spiritually understanding from a, you know, especially even from a non-denominational standpoint, it can be, um, you know, the gamut can be pretty wide theologically in Mm -hmm. terms of of the way, you know, predestination, Calvinism, you know, whatever, right? Right. There could be all these different things, right? But yet the core of the worship side of things can be separated from that. Even down to from a theological standpoint, do you think someone has to be connected or do you think the worship element is enough regardless of that?
3: Um, My experience, the worship element is enough. Uh, When we're crafting the sound, we're trying to create an environment, right? We're just trying to create an environment and get audio out of the way, get the distractions down. Um, Sometimes we say we're translators. We're trying to take what's going on on the stage and just turn that into an aural experience that allows the musicians or the preacher or whatever to do what they're supposed to do. Right. So, you know, and sometimes we hold doors in our church a little bit too long because we're fine tuning something. Uh, I'd say one of the things that works um, really well for us is we define a separate rehearsal and a run through. So the rehearsal is what it is. Everybody knows what a rehearsal is. The band's working out. Well, they, they practice before they get there, but they work out transitions, mm-hmm. things like that, make sure the arrangements are tight. And then the run-through is identical to a worship experience minus the audience. Right. So at that point, we can really make sure the sound engineer is on on the same page with what we're doing with video cues and all that kind of stuff.
2: That makes a lot of sense. Cool. All right, so let's uh, Kyle. Why don't you ask the first of the last two uh, uh, questions?
1: Okay. So you've you've listened to the podcast. Yep. He, you, he you, hasn't gotten you,
2: to the good episodes yet, so he, he, <laughs> he he's not prepared for these two questions. Just saying.
1: Oh uh-huh. yeah. So we're coming to go to dinner with you and hang out
3: in Carolinas. Where would you take us to eat? So we're going to barbecue, but it's not. Definitely not Carolina-style barbecue. I live in oh. Charlotte, but I'm not going Carolina-style. I'm going Kansas, Texas. A little thicker, a little more molasses Is that a word on yeah, the sauce? Yeah, it is now. <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas, Hard Eight. If you've ever been there, that's the kind of barbecue. There are a few places here that, that do that. Um, the default... In North Carolina is the pulled pork with the vinegar vinegar sauce that gets a little messy. It's okay, but it's not my I, thing. I kind of so like we're the going, white sauce some, sometimes. Oh, like, uh, yeah. Mm. Sometimes. Um, but that's what we're doing. I'll just stick with Kansas City with personally. Yeah, yeah Kansas
0: City.
3: Brisket, brisket <laughs> style, uh, then. Yeah. Texas, Kansas oh, City, yeah. brisket. Yes, definitely.
2: Man, I am hungry now. All right. All right, so, Kit, um, <laughs> if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that?
1: Wow. Personally or
3: professionally? However you want to do it. Um, professionally, it's not as a mixer. It's probably... I'm not sure what the terminology is. Maybe... Um, what I'm trying to say is, I love mixing, but I love more helping other people get better mm. at mixing. When I have somebody, even from a, a church in Arizona or something, call me six months and say, Man, I finally got this thing working right that we talked about. And uh, so I don't know if that's called education or training or just uh, passing on
2: knowledge. It's, it's mental. I mean, that's yeah.
3: Mentor- yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is. Uh, That's actually more fun, I think, than putting up a great mix experience is is seeing other people learn to do Mm it.
2: Yeah, That's awesome. Cool. Well, Kyle, it's been a while, man. Appreciate you hanging out with us.
0: It's great to meet you.
3: Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for having me. Fun stuff. I love what mm -hmm. you guys are up to with the podcast. It's great. Thanks. We're chasing number one. We're
1: working on a wrapped bus, possibly. <laughs> um, oh, the bus wrap. Uh,
0: yes. We're working on
1: some possibly. I don't you know, know. If you our do own that, you going to have like, the F one team. I don't know. What about to like taco truck? <laughs> taco <laughs> truck.
0: Oh my god! Yes. A if we don't have a taco, taco truck, truck. truck, I will die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have to have a taco yeah, truck. Yeah.
2: Screw you, MXU. We're, we're 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 taking a taco <laughs> truck on the road. Yeah. <laughs> t- yes.
0: <laughs>
1: No mixing consoles, zero consoles, just roller skates Mm -hmm. and taco trucks. No, yes, no,
2: no, no, no no hate for Jeff and and the guys over. (laughs) No, no, they're doing great. We love what the guys are doing. So, Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Thanks cool. for joining us, Kent. Uh, thank you. Ma- thank make you. sure you check out uh, kentmargraves.com. Uh, he has some great information up there. We'll link that on the description in the video. There's probably some other things that we should link to. Maybe that shotgun blast to the piano thing might be cool.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see There's that. There's like a couple of YouTube videos where she talks about it, but I'll see if I can find it.
1: Yeah, make sure you guys jump on her socials, you know, uh, say hello, post some show pics, Thank you, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time on Signal to Noise.